listening to She's a Powerhouse. My name is Holly Calloway, and I'm here to share with you some stories of ordinary women who have done some extraordinary things in hopes that you'll get comfortable being uncomfortable, be okay with pushing your boundaries, and do some extraordinary things yourself. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of She's a Powerhouse. Man, if there was one woman who embodied the word powerhouse... This lady is it. I've got Deb Sofield for you today. She is an executive speech coach. She's won multiple awards. Go check out her name. DebSofield.com is her website. And all of the amazing things that she'd done for me to rattle it off would take most of the episode. So I'm going to stick with the couple that she likes best. The um, Order of the Palmetto Award, which is something that they give for working South Carolina, but not just South Carolina all across the nation. And also the Athena Award, which is given by the Greenville Chamber, which is one of my favorites and one of the reasons that I even know who you are. And thank goodness for that. I'm so happy for that connection that that was ever made. Um, And she is one of our powerhouse keynote speakers for the Shattered Glass Symposium. And I'm so stoked for that. And she does the coaching for the TEDx group here in Greenville. So welcome, Deb Sofield. How are you today, ma'am? Hey, Holly, I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. It's so great to be able to see you and speak to you. I, I really do love that I can see you. I love like it's just so bright and cheery. I love that. So um, when we were talking about uh, getting ready for your intro and I said speech coach and you said um, no executive speech coach. Let's and our producer, Nate, in the back goes, talk about that. So I think that's a fantastic opener because we talk a lot of times to women entrepreneurs. Tell me why you're an executive speech coach and not just a, a speech coach. Thanks, Holly. So I'll tell you, I, I'm not for everybody, not just by personality, but by cost and by time. So I decided early on that I needed to kind of separate myself. And, you know, so you might have a speech teacher in high school and that who maybe the person you call at some point, but I deal primarily with the C-suite and those who would like to be there. So I do have a huge long list of folks that I can get there, but I primarily spend my time helping people craft their message. And I like to say, I like to teach you how to learn, use your voice and then learn to use it. So I add the whole idea of being an executive speech coach, because frankly, I'm not for everybody, but I am if you are truly interested now, because it takes work. So people, it's easy to go, oh, I'd love to have a coaching session. Yeah. Well, you're going to have homework and I'm going to practice and we're going to do it over and over until it just becomes second nature. And you're able just to, in a sense, flow with your words. I love that. And to add to the accolades, I love this too. And it's um, our event our event coordinator's favorite thing to throw out there. You teach at Harvard and you teach at a, as in, you teach at, um, in one of the programs at Yale as well. So, and politicians, all kinds of politicians, correct? I am a guest lecturer at Harvard. And then in fact, this week, I, it was a little hard to get a hold of me because I am on the virtual class with the campaign school at Yale. And I've been there and the trainer for public speaking, your announcement speech, debates, forums, and interviews. I've had 15 years. I was actually president of the board. I attended the school and they got to know me. And next thing you know, I end up on the board. Next thing you know, I'm president of the school. I'm the first uh, below the Mason-Dixon, but really grew the school and put it in its place. We are housed at the Yale Law School. We are not a part of Yale per se, but they graciously host us every year. We train women literally from around the world. So I've got groups out of Washington, uh, NDI, National Democrat Institute, IRI, National International Republican Institute, and they bring their, in a sense, their teachers from other countries, and they come and they attend our school so we can learn how to do it in the latest fashion. 
because if there was one industry that changes overnight, it's politics. And so, yes, I do train across the country. I also train a lot of elected officials. I'm with CSG, Council of State Governments, and I primarily teach campaign speaking because you have a Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat generation that will not listen to your long talk. It's true. We have the attention span of a goldfish. That is, that is 100% accurate. I love that so much. All I can think right now, my brain is reeling with all of the things like you must have seen and heard and know about different people that most of us never actually end up in like that one-to-one contact with. Like how much fun. So when you, gosh, I love, okay, so many things. I'm sorry. My brain does this. I love that. Um, as entrepreneurs, we have to learn kind of how to niche and man, have you done that? Like you, you know who you're for. And that is so amazing. And it's such a great story. Um, that titles matter, right. Which is another really just fantastic thing. And then, and then your story, like all of the things that you must've seen and heard and known. And I, I'm dying over, over what must be in your brain and man, do I wish I could just like read that. Right. It would take about a second. So don't worry. Oh, stop. <laughs> and she's humble, y'all. Like- <laughs> now, let, me, let me just tell you real quick about the, uh, the international work. It, it, because you, so, you somewhat mentioned that. It is amazing what's going on around the world. And so many people just need someone to talk to who, like you have provided here, this platform that you have with all the work that you do, a safe space for someone to honestly explain where they hurt. Sometimes you just need somebody with a worldview. And because I travel so much, I know what we do in this country, in that country, in that country. I know what works and what doesn't work. I end up working with a lot of high ranking officials to help them when they interview with CNN and some of the other outlets, because it's a very different world. So as a speech coach, it's been a Man, it's just been a great ride. You know, you, you mentioned earlier, I knew what I wanted to do. I did. I, I did. I, I'm not great at a lot of things, but I'm super good at a few. And uh, I had to kind of narrow in so I could create a business. I've actually had a couple businesses, but this one has lasted the longest. I love that. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit too. When, first of all, what was your first like job? Okay. So when I was a kid, a friend of mine was working at an ice cream parlor and my mother had worked at an ice cream parlor. And she said, if we let Deb go there, she'll learn to hate ice cream. Yeah. 20 pounds later, <laughs> Deb loves ice cream. I made a boatload of money and tips and I was actually hired under age. So we couldn't tell anybody, but yeah, I worked at an ice cream parlor in Greenville. It's out of business now. And it's funny because people are like, were you? Yeah, that was me. That was the- <laughs> Then they remember. Oh, I love that. That is so amazing. And then when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Speaker. Yeah. I know. Is that not strange? Because I can tell you this. So I actually have a degree in public speaking. Very hard to find. But it was really the, I mean, I was great at sports. And I said to my parents, I want to be a PE teacher. I want to be a coach. And they were like, yeah, we're not paying for that. Okay, well, let's see what what fits in this mold. And uh, they're like, I don't know, you got to go figure it out. But I realized, I mean, I'm telling you, Holly, I realized early on, I am the youngest of five, the only girl. And I learned if you can learn to sway the masses, you can do anything. And Mm. that was where I decided to go. And I started in business, I want to be a motivational speaker. And then I realized there's 8 million of those people. And I thought, well, that's not going to work. And then I said, well, maybe I'll be women in politics. Well, that just wasn't enough to make a living. And then I said, well, I'll do women in business and politics. 
And then that finally took off. I mean, I've had to restart quite a few times. And then um, I used to own an ad agency and my agency started doing political advertising. My associates hated it. I loved it. And folks would say to me, hey, can you look at my campaign speech? And I'd be like, this is awful. So I would redo it. But what was funny is that we do these amazing brochures and then they would talk and it didn't match the brochure. And I'm thinking, seriously, this is not hard people, but obviously it was. And uh, win, lose, or draw, a lot of these folks took me from, like if they ran for office and lost, they went back into business. They started calling me as business folks saying, I have to speak to the chamber. I have to speak at a big conference. Can you help me? And I literally sold my partnership in the ad agency and hung a shingle for executive speech coaching. And that's, it just took off. That's what we call alignment. I feel like most of the time, at least in our group is like when you find that thing, that's the thing. And you just go ahead and let yourself fall into that, that thing in particular. Right. And then everything else just kind of, it's one of those ways that you know that your gut's speaking to you and that it's right. What was it about working with women that was so attractive for you? Because my brothers have what every guy has. It's a handbook and they don't tell you about it. You don't really know it's there. They got it. And as a kid, I was able to see the handbook and I saw how women were treated versus men. And my, my dad, so it's a blended family. My father passed, uh, their mother passed. We, they got married and I ended up with three blonde haired, blue eyed brothers. Now I'm a foreign adoption. My brother is also, so we're Middle Eastern. And um, so you blend this family together. And my stepdad had a rule, you touch her, I kill you. Which as an adult, you realize how valuable that was because I didn't know how creepy the world was. But because there were five of us, you always had to have the fifth player for basketball, for volleyball, for every other sport. And so I would, I was drug onto the court. And I remember one day saying to my brother, Joel, why do I have to learn all this stuff? And he said, I'll never forget. We never want you to be a boring date. <laughs> Interesting. So you know what? I can do it all. I was great at softball. I'm not so good at baseball, but uh, soccer. I mean, I did it all because I had to be that fifth player. And when you're in a huddle, they say, well, here's what it looks like we're going to do, but here's what we're really going to do. And I realized they do that in business and nobody explained it. So I truly, my first couple speeches, which I don't do anymore in the circuit because speeches age out. Or they should, people. If you're giving the same speech you gave years ago, you are not going to be good. So some of those first speeches were, in a sense, rules for women on how to succeed in a man's world and environment. And I got to tell you, that took off across the country. Mm -hmm. And I can see how that would be. It feels less relevant now, but at the same time, I feel myself giving versions of that talk on a pretty regular basis about how um, finding myself at tables where I am the only woman, I still have to know the rules that nobody teaches us. And it feels like men know the rules. And so it's not necessarily, I wouldn't have said handbook, but yeah, that they somewhere along the line are taught, this is how things happen. And then I came in as a 30 something year old baby entrepreneur and wanted to get ahead and couldn't understand what these barriers were that I kept coming up against until I kept finding myself at tables full of men and going, what do they know that I don't? And then as soon as I started learning those things, teaching those things to other women and going, did you know 
did you know this was a thing? And them going, what? And you're like, right, exactly. See, none of us know. Why isn't it common knowledge? Like it feels like for the other half of our race, like why does one gender get it and the other one not? And so I, I still think so much of that is relevant, but you've been doing this work for a few years. Yeah, about 25. Yeah. I have gray hair. Remember, I've been doing this a long time. And you know, Holly, let's just take one thing that everyone thinks they know and most don't do it well. And that's the handshake. Yes. You think about how it works and how, how a handshake. So think about this. It's a very odd thing we do in America. I don't know you. I've never met you, but what do I do? I reach out and I touch Touch you. you. Now that's out of the box in any other country, but here we are. And in that handshake, let me tell you, I'm so good at this now. I know if I can take you down, if I have to deal with you, or if you have any value whatsoever. And I can help women and men. I've got a lot of men I'm working with in business now because they grew up with single mothers. And so I've got this whole other business side of me that helps men show up in the marketplace as well. Uh, my favorite, it's and it's a complete aside, but my favorite thing is giving a handshake to a man who thinks that he thinks he can take me down because the, the, the way their eyes change, because they do the eye contact and I, I've never, I don't think I was ever taught not to give a flimsy handshake, but I've always had a firm handshake. Like it just, it seemed like the thing to do naturally. So a nice firm handshake and they go from, Oh, to, oh, very quickly. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's one of the easiest, it's one of the easiest indicators to give somebody that I'm not here as a, a as a pushover, as somebody who's just going to do and go with whatever. Um, and it's, again, it's a piece of that handbook where you're not here to just take notes. My, oh, and being the woman at the table who uh, I'm, I'm always, will you keep notes? I'm like, he can keep notes. We are on the same level and there's no reason that because I have ovaries, I should be the one keeping notes. But thank you. Like that is still such a commonplace thing. So, or would you go get us all coffee? And I say, no, thanks. I don't care for any. (laughs) I love it. Yes. Stealing that for forever. I love that. No, thanks. So, okay. College. And then the exact, the ad agency, all of these things, did you, was there somewhere in there where it wasn't Deb, the entrepreneur, where it was Deb, the employee is, was that a thing or did you jump straight in? No, I did. I went to work for right out of college. I got involved in a political campaign and I really thought that was going to be my job and my candidate lost. Mm. And it was, I know it sounds crazy, but I was 22. I was so sure I was going to Washington. I had interned in Washington and had been offered a job. And I called my dad and I'm like, hey, I got this job. And he's like, hey, you got to come back and graduate. I'm like, no, 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 I'll go to school up here. And he's like, no, 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 you'll be here by Thursday. And I am just huffing and puffing. And I thought I better show back up. So I literally came home for my senior year and graduated. He knew I wouldn't have done it had I lived in D.C. It would have been one of those almost. But I finally got my degree and I was like, I'm going back. And my candidate lost. And I I had a rough patch. I just could not believe God had not opened that door. I know I'm called. I know I'm good at this. And I just was thinking all the good I could have done. And then finally, you know, I was at a dinner party one night and somebody's like, you know, we need somebody to sell for our ad agency. And so I was like, so Phil, you can sell anything. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll show up. Well, I actually knew the guy and I knew his wife and he's like, oh yeah, you're hired. Well, and he said, we're like, behind $30,000. People just won't pay their bill. And they don't to ad agencies. They think that, I don't know what they think. And within a week, I collected all the money because I called my dad and I said, what's the one thing you don't want me to do? And he said, turn you over, turn me over to a collection agency. 
So I got on the phone, I called all these people and said, within 24 hours, I'm turning you over to a collection agency. Realizing I don't have a clue what I'm talking about, but if you say it with authority, Holly, they bought it. And I collected $38,000 in one week. And the guy was like, remember this is a hundred years ago when I started. He's like, that's your salary. Um, and then I realized he wasn't very bright. So I convinced the artist. I said, why don't we just leave we'll open a firm? I can't draw a line. You're terrible with people. Why don't we open a business? And we did. And my dad gave me money. Her dad gave me money. We opened in one small office and I hustled. I went and got everybody I knew. We, she did great work. She was very talented. Uh, grew that to quite a large business. For We were a smaller for a boutique firm. Um, and then she wanted to marry a guy who wanted to be in the business. And I saw my stock go from, you know, 49, 49, because we gave our accountant 2% in case he had to, you know, settle something to 66.33. And I'm sitting there going, I'm not good at math, but those numbers are not in my favor because they're getting married. And it was just the right time to leave. I, I wanted to leave before I didn't like them anymore. And they wanted me to leave because they were kind of tired. It appeared that I was having so much fun because I love life and I enjoy what I do. And I knew I could sell our advertising because we were good. Um, so they bought me out. And then I had about a year. I realized People my age weren't retired because I'd call my friends and they're like, we're working so field. Okay. And I'm like, I got to go do something. And that's when I hung the shingle for the speech coach and all the people I had met all those years in campaigns that the agency had done were like, man, Deb, we need you. And then I ended up being more of a private coach and I wanted to speak. So I was still speaking and that, Holly, that is hard to do. At some point we ought to have a, a talk because everybody wants to be a speaker and they have very little clue of how hard it is on the circuit. Not impossible, just hard. I feel that. And if it, I don't do anything that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> Where does that, um, the, your, your um, propensity for light and laughter and happiness is absolutely infectious. Where does that come from? Because I don't know if you've noticed, I'm sure you have, that's not common. It's not like the overall, it's not what most people sit in, I've found. Um, I was talking to a friend the other day who said, how was your day? And I said, six out of 10. And he was like, oh, good. And I was like, no, no, six out of 10 is a bad day for me. And he was like, oh, like a six or seven for me is pretty average. And I was like, either our measurements are not the same or man, really? Six or seven is average. I was like, my average day is like a nine, like six is bad. So that like, and it, it sent me down this kind of rabbit hole of, I feel like most people sit in like a neutral, not necessarily bad, but perfectly, perfectly fine being perfectly fine. Where does that like that push for, I like to have fun and I like to be in a good space and I like to be happy. Where does that come from in you? That's an interesting question. I haven't really had it that way. I will tell you this. Um, I actually, I'm adopted from Beirut, Lebanon, and I had the good fortune to go back to Lebanon to find where I came from. Now, most kids who are foreign adoptions, you always have this vision that, you know, your father's a Saudi sheik and you're, you know, and you're like, yeah, probably not happening. Um, so I, but I've always known, my mom never hid from me that I was adopted. My brother's from Vietnam and it was just, there's a, and I think all adopted kids have it. So you either, you either learn to love the fact that you were chosen. So my mom sent out these little announcements that said, I wasn't expected, I was selected. 
And I have always held that because now that is a burden. It's a burden because you, because I say to myself, God, you didn't put me here to be average. Anybody can be average. So you brought me to America. I got the golden ticket, man. I got into a great family who loved and supported me, still do. I've got the best connections. How can I just be average? So I struggle with not being more than what I should be. And even though to some people it's like, wow, you do it all. Yeah, but I know what I'm capable of. And I will tell you, sometimes I'm just lazy like everyone else. And I have realized through COVID, I wasn't lazy. Man, through COVID, I wrote another book. I did an online class. I cleaned out the attic twice, went to auction. I mean, as all my friends were bellyaching, I'm like, man, I have never had this much time. And I still did virtual work, which was, I was blessed. So I'm going to just say, even though people don't always believe, you know, I do, I have a strong belief. I am grateful. And I think that gratitude is what kicks me in the morning every day because I, I, I have a lot to offer and, and why not? I want to end my life being literally burnt out. There's yes. not going to be left a little bit of the candle left, man. I will have done it all. Yeah. I'd rather go out with a flash than with a fizzle, right? Absolutely. I feel, oh, I love, I love resonating with a guest on a really, on a really crazy level. I'm not type A. So most of the time when I start this part of this conversation, people are like, oh, she's like super type A perfectionist, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm a hot mess all of the time. None of my stuff is organized. Like all of my thoughts are super weirdly nebulous and not organized in any form or fashion. It's a miracle that I run a company a legitimate miracle, whatever the version of my company running is, shouldn't work. It's, it's amazing that it does. However, I, all the way through grad school, all the way through running my first couple of businesses, all the way through opening this company, what keeps me going is I've not met my potential yet. And people look at me and they're like, Hey, crazy pants. Do you see everything you've done? And I was like, that's great. Celebrate that. That's amazing. I'm not trying to take away from what's already been done. Yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. But I know here what's left. You yeah. can't see it. You can't possibly know. You're not in here. Right. But I know. And so then I push. And I've, I, don't, I don't think with all of the women entrepreneurs I've ever spoken with, anybody else has said it as eloquently and as perfectly as you do to like resonate with that. I feel that. Man, I love that. Man, right. I love that. Yes. Yes. And I can see the potential in other people but not like I can feel it in me. It's a whole different ballgame. It's a whole different story. So speaking of that struggle, because yes, and, and, and that it is absolutely a struggle. It is absolutely a struggle to constantly feel like you're not quite there yet. And I know that we'll never get there. I know that. I know how to give myself grace. I get that. That's all a part of the process, right? But it is a struggle to say, am I doing everything I can? What else have you gone through in the process of being this entrepreneur, like a lifetime entrepreneur, truly? We, and we meet so few of those as well. What struggles have you gone through and come up against that feel like still kind of sit with you where you're like, I got through that. I did that. And that was, that was, that was a big piece of me. So I've run for office and I've lost. There's nothing worse than losing. Let me just tell you. When I sold my company and I looked back and I realized what I put up with, I thought you shouldn't have done that either. And so you get to a point where you know, you look around and you go, well, that person shouldn't be there. And then I thought, no, 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 that's not you, Deb. Um, they will find their own karma. It's not mine. It's hard in today's environment, Holly, not to be angry because sometimes things just don't really work out. And I've had to teach myself, and I'll tell you how it happened real quick. I, um, I had to teach myself 
to be okay with being okay. So I had a radio show for about five years on a local station, and I wanted to teach public speaking skills because everybody needs it. So let's do public speaking. So I got a few sponsors and I started with public speaking. And literally after my first three shows, um, it couldn't be all public speaking. So I would do this little side show, like <clears throat> I called it encouragement for your life. And let me just talk about how you need to quit asking why and just go do it. And so every show was doing that. And after a while, people wrote me and said, don't really like that public speaking part. Um, like the second part. And I'm thinking... <laughs> I did it for public speaking, but you know what? So two things happened to me. First of all, I listened, which is unusual for me. I listened to my audience. And secondly, when you have to produce a positive show for five years, it changes you yes. into a positive person. I started looking for the light. I wasn't going to look around for darkness. Didn't care about that. Didn't care if you were whining in the corner. I don't have time for you. I am looking for people who are truly interested in shining and being their very best. And that's where public speaking comes in because it is the one thing that'll set you apart from anyone else. If you can speak well, you can, you don't even have to have money. If you can speak well, you will sit next to Kings and congressmen and you will change the world as you know it, but you better learn this skill. And it is hard. And I practice it every day. So I am, yeah, and I wrote in my book series, Encouragement for Your Life, uh, I wrote thank you to the audience that forced me to change. And it did. And I can tell you my friends from years ago who meet me now, they're like, huh, yeah, we always like Deb. We like the new Deb better. It's like Deb 2.0, I don't know. <laughs> that is brilliant. We did an episode of, I don't even know if it's aired yet, actually, I should keep better track, but we did one on, um, on gratitude and the act of gratitude, like making it a, um, an intentional part of your day to do. Um, so I do this with my kids. I've got a um, single mom, three little kiddos. And every night before we go to bed, as we're doing the kind of tuck in and snuggle, I said, I do tell me three things you're grateful for tonight. And sometimes those three things are super easy. I did this today. I did that today. And I'm, you know, I'm glad I'm here with my family, whatever it happens to be when we have the big days. But even, I mean, even this far into the practice, they'll still struggle occasionally. Um, but I got the idea from an instructor in my grad school who said, I, we started with five, her wife, and she did five gratitude things they're grateful for every, every night. And she goes, when we started five was hard because I was looking for the negative. And now I'm like, do I have to stop at five? Cause I could probably do 50. It is. It's really when you start looking for it, right. That it's just, it's there and it becomes a piece of what you do subconsciously. You're not even consciously looking for gratitude anymore. You, you just see the thing and you're like, Oh, I'm grateful for that. And that's good. And it puts you in a positive space. I love that your friends could tell. I love that people who have known you for so long were like, this is, this is a good, a good change and proof that you're not necessarily born that way. Right. I think and people you think you're change. just naturally that way and you can't change. Yeah. I have a friend who, there was somebody who really did me wrong. I mean, there's no two ways about it. And one day she looked at me and she said, Deb, we're sick of hearing it. Fair enough. And I decided, and believe it or not, this person is dead and gone. And I was still angry. <laughs> I was like, you know what, Deb, you just need to grow up. So now, mm. you know, no big deal. Wish them well, wherever you are. I'm pretty sure you're not where you think you are, but that's another story. <laughs> but, you know, I, I really had to, um, I had to grow up. You know, it's weird. We're adults and we think to ourselves, oh man, I should be done growing up. No, 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 no. And there's things that I, I would love to do that I think uh, grown-ups grown don't do that, Deb. So yeah, it's, I'm still a work in progress. Aren't we all though? 
I mean, like, I feel like if you ever feel like you're done growing, then you're really just dying. Yeah. And no, I don't want to be there. I'm not ready yet. It's too soon. It's too early. Um, what were, what is your, if you like just initial response, what comes to mind first when I say like, what was your greatest success or what has been so far? I would say making it on the speaking circuit. It's probably one of the hardest things you will do and to be a recognized expert. Yeah. Yeah. Which you are like, I love saying your name in public places. It's another one of those things. that's easy. It's an easy joy for me. I'd be like, yeah, we're working with, um, Deb Sofield and people are <gasps> like, yeah, these Deb Sofield. So funny. People say that to me. And I literally, I'm like, seriously, if they got to know me, they'd be like, Deb's just Deb. Yeah, that's it. Well, and isn't that that's yes. Yeah. Yes. But I feel like, yes, true of most people that you like have that they see our best side, right? Yeah. Like we see the, our, and they, people always say never meet your idols because they're never the highlight reel that, you know, you always see, but yeah, you're totally for, for anybody listening. Who's like, Oh my gosh, it's Deb. Deb's a pretty normal, normal human being. He's <laughs> still amazing, but also very down to earth and humble and very, very normal human. You know, Holly winning my first election too. I mean, I had lost. Yeah. That's hard. I remember my mom, my dad were there, my friends were there, and the camera caught me hugging my mother. You know, it's kind of like activist finally wins, and I'm like, geez, it's about time. Um, but it, it, it was that that was a big day too. But I've had a lot of them. I listen. I actually went to the hospital where I was born. That's amazing. Yeah, because they were about to tear it down. I've got some amazing stories. I was in a cab in Boston. I just spoken to Harvard. I'm going to the airport. Ended up the guy. We get talking. He's actually from Lebanon. And in the course of conversation, I say, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to go back. I'd like to know where I was born. He's like, well, what's the hospital name? And I said it. And he said, oh, it's still there. Really? I said, yeah, would you write in Arabic? He wrote it in Arabic. And then he wrote it in English. And I'd send it to my friend who I was going to meet over there. And she says, oh, we know where it is. And when I finally got to Lebanon, within two weeks, they were about to tear it down. So oh I literally goodness. walked. They let me sneak in. I walked in the hall. So when they say you can't go back again, oh, you can. You just got to figure it out. Um, <laughs> but that guy, I, I think it was an angel. I remember getting out of the car and calling my mother and saying, this is not a normal encounter. There's mm-hmm. no way out of all the cabbies in Boston, I got the one who knew right. where my hospital was. Oh, that's such an incredible story. Yeah. Uh, and we, I could tell you all the other aspects of it, but just real quickly to our point. Yeah. Just keep looking for the light. It, yes. Oh, yes. And that like the way that conversation went, that it happened to be just that and and y'all figured it out is incredible. Oh, I love I love when things fall into alignment like that. That's so phenomenal. Um, so to, to, to take kind of a hard turn. You are, I gotta love your stories. And I really hope you tell plenty of them or, or at least a few for the Shattered Glass Symposium. So for the next however many episodes, y'all, shameless plugs, absolute shameless plugs, because I am so excited for this event. If I wanted to, there is no way I could tone it down. Um, we have 14 keynote speakers and Deb is one of them and they're all amazing powerhouse women. And amazing powerhouse women was exactly what we were we were going for and I think that's a looking for the light thing because it is exactly what we got and I am I'm stoked. So um we talked a little bit about what you would like to speak on. Can you give us just a tiny preview like give them a little taste of of what they should come listen to you talk about? You know, I first of all thank you for having me at this symposium symposium and letting me be your coach for the other speakers. I I appreciate that. It's just a cool opportunity for me to meet new folks and that's why I love being the TEDx coach. I meet usually 12 to 14 new friends every time. So that, 
that because I travel so much, that's such an honor for me. Now, what I'd like to talk about at the symposium, because we don't have a lot of time, I'm talking about the power of one. And I talk about this a lot. I've noticed in some of my talks, because the reality is in life, there will come a day where you will make a decision. It will be right or wrong. And I'm encouraging you to go to the right because it could be life-changing. We know there's a great book out called the, the 200 Wealth. And my first story is just real quick. You know, at, at 211 degrees, water is hot. At 212, water boils. Boiling water produces steam that can move a train down the track. It can light your world. It can change your life. But the problem I see, Holly, is too many people simmer at 211 because it's comfortable. It's what we know. And so my talk is to move you, and I'm going to give you three or four skills to be a rock star, amazing leader in today's community that you've got to move in the direction. And sometimes it's simply one. You need your one amazing story. You need to show up because within one minute, people make a judgment about you. And then I've got a couple other ones I'd like to share with the audience because I really believe that it doesn't take much but you have to be willing to set aside your pride, your anger, your hurt, your frustration. Your sadness is not acceptable at this conference. This is a chance to open up, accept what's coming, and learn to live your best life ever. Oh, can I come? I am looking <laughs> forward to speaking alongside of you. Oh, me too. I cannot wait. I cannot wait for how, do you know what I'm most excited for? Any conference. Any conference, any any um, gathering of this many people, the energy that you can put into the room just by having the people there and then by directing the energy in the way that you want it to go and our intention of the high energy and leaving with something so usable when you're done, that combination, like I'm excited to go. I am excited, I'm excited to attend this conference. Forget being a keynote. Well, I mean, I'm not going to forget being a keynote. I'm really excited to speak at it as well. But man, am I excited. And to hear from women like you, like the, there's, there's still moments where I step back and I'm like, I can't believe that this was a brainchild that came out of my brain because it's, it is the, the people who are making it happen are absolutely phenomenal. So we are so looking forward to you. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Great. Thank you so much, Holly. I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks, Deb. Thanks for listening to that episode of She's a Powerhouse. If you loved this, whatever platform you're on right now, why don't you go down and hit that subscribe button if you're feeling super nice. You can leave us a review, leave us a comment, and share us with other badass women in your life.